Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. to the Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Hees. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Hees, and we are here to become better habitat managers. Guys, we have an awesome episode for you here tonight. We have Mr. David Gage. Out of Illinois. Yes, we're back in Illinois. Why? Well, because that's where a lot of uh, fun hunting and good deer hunting happens. Um, David actually is a friend of a friend of mine, Jordan Hanks from Illinois, a place I go and hunt in Illinois. Now, David and Jordan have been friends for a while. They kind of got together. Jordan's been on the podcast a few times. I've been friends with him for years now. And they've been saying, hey, you know, like you guys should probably know each other. The stuff that you guys both like, you know, it's very synergistic. Um, maybe you guys have a good talk. Well, finally, we got together. Um, Jordan made it happen. David gave me a call. We talked. We have a lot in common. And this is a good conversation because he's doing the habitat work that we all talk about and that we all want to do in an area where a lot of guys kind of, I don't want to say scoff at it, but don't need to do it as much, if that makes any sense. You know, the ground is good. The hunting is good. The soil's good. Uh, the deer are huge. But they're also, you know, high pressured as well. Uh, not, not to like Michigan or PA style, but they're very pressured. Um, so what David thought was, hey, if I can take some of these tactics and put them together and, and, form a plan on an area where it's already pretty good, I should be great. Uh, and he's done just that. And 
I thought it was a very humble, skillful, uh, intelligent conversation with David. I really enjoyed, you know, the, the hour and a half or whatever we talked about here tonight. This is going to be a two-part episode, guys. Um, the first half, we kind of talk about David's story. We talk about his hunting background and personal evolution you know, as a hunter, as a habitat manager, kind of how he got to where he's at. We talk about buying a few different farms, how he bought one, then another, then another, and kind of how he piecemealed it together. They're not huge parcels, guys. This is very relatable to what we're doing, uh, what I'm doing, what everybody else is doing. Uh, so that's why I really just kind of like this conversation. Um, we talk about, you know, the few deer that he's been chasing and, and kind of how he had to create the missing link in between, you know, the neighbors up north of the great habitat and the hills down south of the great habitat. He had to, he had to create his personal niche, if you will. Um, and start if you hear any snoring, I have a eight week old puppy snoring on my lap right now. Uh, her name's Lucy. So I caved all the kids and wife wanted a new pup and I caved. So if you hear her snoring, it's because she's sitting in my lap. But anywho, the second half, which will launch next week, will be kind of more on. And this is kind of where we kind of got down some rabbit holes. David is also huge into soil health, living soil, um, soil health institute. He's taking classes on this stuff. He's raised hogs and cattle and other, uh, you know, farm animals, if you will, for a business that he had, you know, while he wasn't really hunting that much. So it's kind of interesting. So we talk about, you know, what makes sense with you know, using your dollars, maximizing seed costs and tree costs and synthetic inputs, and then talking about how to use a slow release. Um, some of the stuff we talk about with Vitalize as well. So it's very synergistic. I said that again. In this conversation, it was awesome. Um, nutrient density, how how better soil helps grow bigger deer. You know, you got Iowa and Illinois and these states that are just primo deer hunting. You know, the soil's better there. Um, it seems so. Great conversation. Can't wait to give it to you guys. It'll be a two-part episode. David Gage from Illinois. We'll get right into that next. I just want to thank everybody who's supported uh Vitalize Seed. You know, a partner of the podcast here, our new seed company. There, it's really awesome to see the the amount of support and interest in bettering your soil, reducing your fertilizer, and reducing your herbicide use. Everybody seems to be on board with that. Um, taking the next the next step with great seed mixes. You know, 13, 14, 16 seed. You know, diverse mixes. Uh, people are. Are, are trying it. They're on board. They've listened to our podcast. They've listened to other podcasts and, and they're, they're trying it out. So thank you guys for doing that. We truly do appreciate that. Um, Vitalizeseed.com. Check it out for all your spring and fall food plot needs. It's a very simple system. You plant one mix in the spring, one mix in the fall. They feed off each other. You reduce fertilizer over time. You reduce herbicide over time. Very simple. You can do it without a drill. You can do it without a cultipacker or a crimper. You can just do it. So it's kind of nice. Um, I also want to thank, you know, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit. I've been filming with those guys for years. I can't even tell you how long now. And some of the boys over there who have actually been out turkey hunting, which is most of them, unlike myself, 
have been laying the hammer down on some times and some great footage. MichiganWhiteTailPursuit.com. These guys are just like us. I, I tend to relate and partner and get with people who are just like me. I don't know why I path the least resistance, I guess. Um, and just more fun and comfortable for everybody. These guys are hammering. My buddy Ryan just put a video up through MWP. Great turkey hunt. Check it out, guys. It's worth doing. MichiganWhiteTailPursuit.com. Michigan hunters, turkey hunting, and deer hunting here in Michigan. It's, it's awesome. Uh, lastly, I'd like to thank Packer Max. Call the Packers. I am running the heavy-duty unit from Packer Max. We have a discount code with Packer Max. If you want to buy any sort of cult backer from Lincoln, um, all you have to use, call Lincoln and use the term HPC25. Give you $25 off any of his units. We also have the crimper unit over there. So between Lincoln being a dealer for Vitalized Seed, uh, selling a Packer Max with a crimper attachment, it's kind of the full system. It kind of just makes sense. So what I'm going to do this spring, temps are finally getting warm enough. I'm going to crimp my last fall regrowth over top of my vitalized spring mix. So the Packer Max crimper unit vitalized is like, uh, you know, two peas in a pod there. Uh, 25 bucks off HPC25 at PackerMax.com. Check Lincoln out. He just got another pallet of seed delivered. Uh, today is May 4th. Today is that's when he got it today. So check him out. He's over there in uh, Belmont, Michigan, north of Grand Rapids. Feel free to swing in there and get your acre bag full of vitalized seed. And be sure to pick up a Packer Max Cult of Packer on your way up north of your hunting property. So other than that, guys, I want to thank everybody very much. We gave away the Habitat Hook last weekend. Um, if you didn't hear that episode yet, go back to 176. You'll hear the winner there. Now let's get right into it now with David Gage out of Illinois, Big Bucks and Soil Health, two-part episode. This is uh, this is the room I got to decorate, you know? Well, yeah, so I mean, she uh, nice bucks there, brother. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, blind sows and acorns, I can promise you, uh, is, <laughs> is some of this. Uh, and as I've said a lot, it's just the area in which we live, you know? Um, yeah these deer are same county but different townships um and truthfully the one over my right shoulder the neighbors told me was three and a half so uh like oh over here got it yeah and, so and what do you think you think he is or was uh i think i was 23 years old i'd never killed a deer over 120 inches and that deer had 23 scoreable points i mean i shot him i i mean, I, I shot him from the ground um and that was the beginning of my bow hunting career. Like I, I was, I was a young man, and and I was hunting next to some guys who were probably fifteen to twenty year habitat managers, um, and they let the deer walk, and I didn't. <laughs> so I've been, I've that, been that guy. Nice. Yeah. So I've been that guy. Uh, but you know, it's all about the guy in the field and what you see and what you want. And uh, you know, I at that time in my life. Uh, and even today, I don't know that you pass something like that. Maybe. I mean, if, if I knew for sure, maybe. I don't I don't know. I, it's a, that's a that's a tall ask and a you know, I mean, we can say whatever we want sitting here looking at each other on sure. the computer, but 
Sure. You get in the field and, and, and things get a little – in the heat of the moment, things get a little bit different. So, yeah. So, uh, you know, like I said before, that was my every five-year wall. Uh, 20 didn't develop, and uh, 21 was all right. Uh, you know, we're a two-buck state, and um, I, I, I killed three bucks but didn't recover one until shed season, which was an unfortunate event. Um, but it happens to everybody, and you got that's part of that's part of the journey. If you can't figure out what to do with wounded deer, and you're probably not going bow hunt very long. Exactly right. Exactly right. So you you and I both had a heck of a 21 season. By the way, we should probably go ahead and, and introduce you here, David Gage. Okay. Go ahead and and get it going. We're sitting here looking at his nice wall. Uh, at well, the ones that made it. In the office, I should say. Yeah, yeah. So, um, listen, I, I'm just John Q. Public, man. I, I'm probably, uh, you know, I don't know your your listener base, but I would, I would venture to say that I'm just average working stiff like everybody else. Um, uh, there's not anything special about me, you know. I, we obviously know each other through mutual friend Jordan. Uh, Jordan and I met each other working on the railroad. And, uh, you know, if I got a degree in anything, it's kicking boxcars and riding freight trains. And that's, you know, that's <laughs> the story of my life. So, uh, but <clears throat> throughout growing up, like me and dad didn't play a lot of pitch and catch. Me and dad shot play pigeons and setting deer stands together. So this is something for me that was, uh, you know, started at a young age. Um, I've been a jack of all trades, masters of none through most of my life. But hunting has always been a pretty steady and constant thing, you, you know, when the fall rolled around, most everybody could tell you, you know, I was going to be absent in whatever, uh, whatever we were doing in life. Cause I was going to be deer hunting or chasing a bird dog or whatever. So, um, you know, about like everybody, as far as the, the hunting goes, uh, started shooting anything that had four legs and was Brown with a, with an old 870 Remington, uh, when I was about in the fifth or sixth grade and, uh, got introduced through a uh, through a boss of mine at about fifteen uh, uh, in a bow hunting uh, had a PSC uh, Youth Nova. I still remember the bow to this day. That was my uh, first compound bow, same bow. Yeah, yeah, and uh, just he had an old star foam target out behind the shop where we worked, and I literally just uh, he had a nightlight out there on a pole, and I would stand out there and just shoot over and over and over, and I was just fascinated. Um, with the bow and arrow, uh, when I was 16, went out and put up a deer stand on my great grandpa's farm and, uh, ended up, ended up going out that October and, uh, killing, killing a little bitty spike buck. And I was hooked. I mean, just, I couldn't get, I still love, I still love gun hunting, but there was something about, uh, the amount of time you got starting in October, uh, to clear into January. And, uh, and, and the challenge of it. I mean, there was there was a there was a challenge. So, so I ran compounds hard for a good decade, probably. I'm a, you know maybe not even a decade. I'm, I'm 39 now, and when I was 26, 27, uh, a really good friend of mine, a mentor of mine, introduced me into traditional bow hunting, and uh, it was uh, I fell in love. I just couldn't get enough. Uh, the same guy that, that introduced me. I mean, we, we went into Canada bear hunting with him and we, we've chased hogs with him. We've shot turkeys with him. And, uh, and I was talking 
about last year. Uh, the buck that I shot was my number one target buck. He was six years old. Uh, we'll get into the habitat part of this, but I told you the other day that he was on a trail that I built with his nose against a grapevine that I hung and just talk about not something I've got to experience a lot of is just giving a deer a script and then him going, okay, that's my part. I'll walk up and let you shoot me. Uh, <laughs> low, low uh, liver hit. Didn't get a pass through and knew the deer was dead. And just uh, a six-year-old whitetail is unbelievably tough. Um, <clears throat> and you can ask Jordan. I quit. I hung it up. I was done. He's going to take up golf, underwater basket weaving, something like I was a sick, you know. Uh, I knew this deer was dead, and, and you know, I was just taking all my toys, and I was going home. You know, this farm could be, you know, whatever. We could turn it into a compound or something. But I, it, was, it was no longer a deer farm. I was done hunting. So that happened November the 1st. By November the 23rd, I tagged out. So it was a quick turnaround of uh, crying the blues. Um, so I, uh, ended up, I ended up, uh, I, put the, I put the longbow away. Um, the, I think most would agree that whatever you take a field, you need to be confident in. And I had lost a bunch of confidence. Um, and it wasn't, the, it wasn't about my shooting ability or just, I just lost confidence and I needed to try something different. So I had an, I had an old Matthews FX hanging in the closet. Like this is a 20 year old Matthews and uh, rigged up some arrows shot in the yard, half of an afternoon and uh, went out and, and ended up tagging two, two great deer. Uh, you know, it, so, and it also kind of reinstilled a little bit of love that I had for compounds. Like, you know, everybody seems to want to pick a camp and then get in that camp and then point fingers at every other camp. You know, I'm a trad man. I'm a crossbow man. I'm a rifle man, whatever. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm too, uh, I like diversity too much to maybe stay in one camp. I do love traditional bow hunting. I think my heart is, uh, probably won't ever leave there. Uh, but, and I've got a goal for myself. Uh, you know, I'd like, you know, uh, you can't get in the trad world and not know about Gene and Barry Wenzel. So knowing what those guys have accomplished and other people like them, Mike Minton and some guys, uh, and even my mentor here in Hamilton, you know, here where I live, um, we, big bucks can fall to single strings. And, I, you know, that's, that's a goal for me. Um, but that's also – that's a personal goal with a weapon. I've also got goals for my farm. I've got goals for my food plots. I've, you know, so for me, it's, that's where this thing turns into a, a, just a, a life of passion is that it's not just about the weapon or one's one animal or one species. It's, you know, there's, there's this big old long journey of this thing. And uh, so, you know, that kind of, that's the hunting side of, of where I am. Uh, the habitat side of, of where I jumped in with you and Jordan um, started hearing about you guys in Michigan. It's tough. What do you do with, what do you guys got like half a million bow hunters, you know, <laughs> something, some crazy number. I don't and even I, know I, a lot. Yeah, it's, it's a bunch. And I start hearing about, um, you know, this guy, Jim Ward, and I start watching these videos. This dude's got this chainsaw in the woods, dropping these trees. And I'm like, that looks kind of cool. 
You know, that, <laughs> that seems interesting. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, seeing Jim Brocker and uh, uh, what's the other guy? Uh, um, uh, Jake, is it Jake? Jake? Yeah, Jake Elinger. Yeah, that's, that's how I got yeah. started too. Watching those yeah, guys. so I so I see these I see these guys and uh, you know and I'm watching what they're doing and I'm like, man, so they're doing that in a highly pressured state, and what if what if I tried some of that in a in a lighter pressured area? Would it would it make any difference? Well, I run a chain. I run out in the woods about uh, I don't know, maybe ten years ago, and hacked around on stuff, not knowing one species from another, not knowing what I was doing, um, you know, and just muddled around and probably did more harm than I did good and probably cost my great grandchildren a whole lot of money cutting down trees that are going to be worth a whole lot more money <laughs> if they were up in the air than if they were laying on the ground. Sure. And so in 2015, this deer here had gave myself and, and a couple others in the neighborhood fits this deer. I had known about, listen i when a guy says a deer's three or four unless he's just real methodical i i don't I, i'm not that good so this deer shows up that's you know like 150 inches but this doesn't have that much of a body i think he was three possibly four this deer had been on the farm for three or four years and i had quit gun hunting like my whole world was i was going to kill this deer with a with a longbow and had standoffs with him at 60 yards and, um, and it, it, it didn't happen. My wife and I in the spring of 2015 went through a pretty tragic loss, uh, as, as a couple and it made hunting hard. And I ended up, I ended up killing that deer, um, in 2015. And after I killed that deer, I lost a little drive from, from the, some things that her and I had went through. Uh, and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't spend much time in the woods. So, um, I took a whole nother route and, and tact and we started this direct market farming and we were doing things that everybody said couldn't be done. We were raising pigs outside and chickens outside. And we were, we were selling meat within our community. And, uh, so I took probably three or four years off after I'd went out and muddled around um, was really going to convert what is now the, the biggest part of my property that I hunt into a uh, raising pastured pigs. Like I know Jordan and, and another mutual friend of ours, Scott was like, you're going to do what with that? What? Like you're, <laughs> you know, it was, uh, they definitely were looking at me cross-eyed that like, you're really like not going to be hunting back there. You're going to have pigs back there. So, um, kind of turned into having one job and then another job and I, and, and, uh, I needed to let something go and we, we let our direct market farming go. Um, but I learned a lot about, uh, soil health and, and living soil in that, in that arena, like how, how people were beaten, uh, doing things that you say that, that people say couldn't be done or that you shouldn't try. And, uh, it was actually my daughter, uh, I, my, my oldest daughter, uh, wanted to go hunting and we went and we shot a doe or I don't know what we shot. It was, it, it was a doe cause we, we haven't killed very many bucks together, but, uh, I, and I shot it. She just wanted to sit with that. So, so we go and dude, 
gasoline on a fire. Like <laughs> I was more excited about this doe and hunting. It, it was, you know, everybody says that you take your kid. Well, she got dad back into it. Like I found all that I'd lost was back in the woods. And for the, since 2018, 19, that's, you know, you or some other dude is on the TV talking about some habitat or deer or something, you know, on YouTube constantly here. And that's, so we've, so a little bit of a hiatus from 15 to 18. Uh, and then it's just been, you know, it's been wildfire out here ever since. And, it's been unbelievably uh, so far pretty successful uh, from, okay. from what I can tell. It, you know, I don't one year of success, you know, is that I think we'll, I'll, I'd like to have the same conversation in 2023 and I'll, we'll see how 2022 goes. Right. But uh, so the, you know, the habitat thing has been over the course of the last year. I mean, uh, flat wore out some chainsaws i mean just went to work and uh put in more food plots than i'd ever had uh, bought a couple few acres off my farmer on some tillable for some standing corn that's awesome yeah and uh you know um you know everybody's farm specific to their location so you know the habitat thing uh that you guys talk about and what everybody's trying to do i heard somebody say this a quote that nobody had written an article about your farm, you know, everybody's written an article, but it's not about, you know, it's not on, uh, you know, everything is going to be site specific. So go ahead, man. <clears throat> no, you're good. I, I want to jump in and, and kind of go back just a touch. That was a, that was an awesome kind of paint us a picture of, you know, where you are now and, and how you got there. Let's hear a little bit about your farm without getting too specific. You know, like what are you, what are you dealing with compared to the everyday working man like, like the rest of us? So, and you did nail our, our listenership. Um, it is guys just like, it's just like you and me. So, well, uh, blessed and lucky is probably where I ought to start in that. Um, this thing has been, uh, land ownership for whatever reason in my mind growing up was, uh, I, rich is the wrong word, but I just thought a guy was, man, he really had it all if he owned some ground. I, if my, my grandparents did, and I guess in, in my mind, uh, somehow that equated success, that, 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 a, that a person acquires some ground. Uh, my grandmother sold real estate for, for years, and from an investment perspective, she always talked about that she never seen real estate lose its value. You know, and you always hear the adage, well, you know, they ain't making no more. And uh, got it, you know, it's almost been 20 years now that we we were able. I split a 40 with an uncle, and uh, okay. it, it was some it was some junk and trash, and nobody wanted. Uh, grown up Russian olive thicket was what it was. Uh, so that that came about in about 04. Um, flat. I have no topography. I, I yearn for hills. Um, so. So flat, no topography. Uh, it was probably 30 to 35 years ago. It was a woods. They come in and, and knocked it out, farmed it for a decade, maybe, and then just let it grow up. And that was the, yeah. that was the, that was where it was when we got a hold of it. Um, then trying to think the next piece. So that was 04, 
the next piece, uh, a friend and I, a friend of I, of mine, we bought together uh, that that didn't adjoin, but it it cornered. So we we had a corner uh, that cornered up um, was twenty two acres. That was in an old nine, uh, and immediately by ten we had it completely enrolled in the CP twenty two program. It was was I think we planted sixty five hundred oaks. Uh, so it's you know it's so that was 09. So we're looking that piece is all ten year regenerational tree program. Awesome. Um, it's it's habitat thick. I mean, yeah. nature's doing what nature does there. Like I don't we don't have to do anything there. Um, and that was probably our first food plots in in on that piece. Um, and then so my wife and I bought the place that we're in now. Um, which is, I don't live directly on my farm, but I'm a 40 off of it. So, so everything that we, I'm, I'm, at, I, I walk to hunt everywhere, ride a bicycle. Like I, Close uh, again, blessed yeah. and blessed yeah. and lucky, you know? Um, so we bought our home and when we did, we bought an additional 11 acres off of the woman. Uh, she owned the 40 that had joined us. Uh, I, I couldn't get any tillable off of her, but we bought a, we bought a, a timber piece. And it was a uh, low-lying timber, so it floods. Uh, and it got TSI'd last year. Uh, it, it's very thick. There's some there's some market timber in there in probably a decade, maybe two. And I went in, I, I approached it about the dollar. So I, it wasn't necessarily about the hunting. Um, we we approached it from a, from a dollar perspective and, and TSI'd it to true TSI. So... TSI from a forestry standpoint and TSI sometimes in the habitat world, I think those two things are really two different things. If you tell, if, if you and I call a district forester and tell them we're going to hinge cut, they're not excited about that. Like that's not, that's not a practice they're real, uh, they're real proud of. If you go back so, a few episodes, you can, uh, you can hear that exact discussion. If you go back a few episodes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're talking more, um, what we like, to, what we would probably or should call is probably forest stand improvement versus a yes, yes. Improvement, right? uh, and like I said, I, we, we approached it. Yeah, uh, there was there's some walnuts there, and uh, nice. we, yeah. So we, you know, I trying to trying to, you know, if it's not me, maybe the kids or the grandkids. But <clears throat> so, um, as as luck uh, happens to to do or. As they say, when it rains, it pours. Um, probably before I bought any property, there was a piece of ground that had been for sale publicly. Everybody knew about it. Um, and being young and ignorant and interested in motorcycles and not making the best decisions in my 20s, I let somebody else buy this piece of ground that had joined my dad's family farm. And I killed my first deer out of this woods. Like, I don't, at that time in my life, I don't know what I was thinking not buying this. <laughs> So this guy buys it and I end up just telling him one day, I said, Hey, if you ever want to sell it, don't call anybody, please call me. And he does. And I immediately commit. Um, I had mentioned this to my wife in passing, but I really, you know, <laughs> let's just say we hadn't had that marital talk about buying this. Don't commit before you talk to the, to your wife. <laughs> that, that was a, that was a, that was a rough couple of days. I don't think she was very proud. So we, it was a 13 acre parcel. It was hundred percent upland woods. It wasn't anything like anything I'd ever had. Um, 
but it was a lot of hickory. Again, had been been logged uh, 30 years ago, roughly. And, and then they cherry picked it. So they took all the whites, uh, white oaks and whatever oak was there. And then this thing come back just chock full of shag bark, pig nut, uh, wow. and a few other hickory trees. So this thing was, you know, you could stand at one end and look out the other end. You can't do that anymore. <laughs> um, so I had the same guy come in in TSI, but the only thing that I asked him was, he didn't do any hinge cuts for me. He went through and released a lot of the white oaks or the oaks that were left. But I just asked him not to chemical treat the stumps. So he went in and he cut a lot of trees down. And then those, those water shoot, you know, sprouts off. Well, I got in there looking at what he'd done and thought, well, shoot, I got a chainsaw. And then I went in and hinge cut behind him, um, which is where this, this six-year-old buck ended up uh, meeting his demise last year on November 1st. And what um, were you hinge cutting, David? What did you go in? What types of trees were you hinge cutting behind the? Um, it, hickories primarily. Yeah. Um, it, there were there were there was a few cases where I found a few soft maples that he had missed. Yeah. Um, and that that I mean that was what was in the woods. Um, there was a few down. I like, down, it. I like you know, it. Um, but it was it was primarily hickories. Um, and uh, and and soft maple. So I go in and, and it tornado zone doesn't even cut what this thing was, but, but in the woods, I, I created a, a circle. Um, and then around that, I, I put a, a, a food plot trail. I got some stuff from Jordan and went in there last summer. Uh, I, I've got a little Kubota with a five foot cutter on it. And I made myself a trail just big enough to get the tractor through I, I didn't think it was the right time of year to be trying it, but it, it's this piece that stays pretty moist. And I hadn't tilled anything up. You, I mean, I couldn't. There was stumps and, and whatnot in there. So I went in there and I, I put some of Jordan stuff out and then I frost seeded again this year. And it, uh, it it's it's a satellite piece. It's not a piece that I don't know if there's a deer in it right this second, but come October 20th through November through shotgun season, any given day, I'm going to say that every buck that I had a picture of last year made an appearance in that woods at some point or another. And it's, you know, it's 13 acres off by itself. Yeah. Um, and then, so the 13 acres comes for sale in June um, and we buy it. And there is a family that had, that had 50 acres south of me. And for 20 years, when, when, originally when I bought the, four, the first 40 or my half of the 40 with my uncle, I had pestered this family to, to sell me this 50. Uh, it, it just uh, just always in my mind thought I would be able to get a chance to buy it. And I leased it a, a couple seasons for hunting. And uh, they're, they're one of the sons and the, and the grandsons live just across the road from this piece. It's, it's part of a, an original farm. And uh, great friends, great neighbors, and uh, they just kind of let me do my own thing over there. They didn't bother me. They hunt, and they but they've got some better. They, I would say, better. They might argue, but uh, they uh, they've got their own piece. They didn't come down, and I, you know, they just kind of let me do my own thing. So this is June. Um, the matriarch of the family passed away, and it, they decided they were going to sell. So, 
you know, uh, I'm a working stiff, man. I don't have a basket full of cash out here. So I, I've just bought this 13 acres and, and now I'm, I'm begging and pleading and trying to explain that this land investment's the best thing going. And this is what we've got to do. And uh, so they take sealed bids and then we have an auction at the courthouse and, you know, uh, I say lucky. My wife might say something different, <laughs> but we ended up we we were able to purchase that fifty. Uh, it had some tillable, which has got some income, which is different than anything we've had this point. But sure. I certainly did not intend to buy two parcels in one year. That's not the that's not the kind of finances or uh, or uh, portfolio I've got. But it it worked out. We were able we were able to make it work. Um, awesome! Wow. So. So we ended up we ended up with another fifty, and that would have been in. Uh, I guess we closed in t- actually in twenty on it. So, okay. so, um, so then we've got we've got a some family that farms. Uh, we hired we hired them to do our farming. Uh, it was corn last year, and now this year it's going to be beans. And then as soon as I hear back from Washington, uh, you know that's going to be a CRP project. So. Yeah, yeah, we, we're looking at uh, roughly 10, 12 acres of pollinators, uh, same in warm season grasses, three acres of, of, of wildlife food, and then probably another 10 acres of tree. So it's, uh, that's, you know, and it, like I said, this is this is pretty flat. It, it's, it's all yeah. ag around us. Um, and we're just trying to diversify what we have to the point that it's appealable. I mean, I don't know about a doe factor. I know I've got doe families that live on me, but I don't, um, I can't say that we're just overrun with does. I don't think that our numbers here are that advantageous, truly. But um, it's it's definitely uh, uh, the guy that got me into uh, traditional bow hunting. He always laughed and said, dude, you're the, you're the center of the wagon wheel of all of us. He's like, every mature buck is going to make a trip through your farm come November. And, for the most part that, that typically the trail cameras, you know, typically reveal that now, you know, sometimes it's nocturnal and that's, that's the, that's the tide and the, and the sail we're trying to, you know, shift, but, uh, it's, uh, we haven't done anything. Now we do have a timber contract. The, the, the 50 has, uh, Oh, it had about 15 acres, I guess, give or take of wide fence rows that had a lot of old uh, black oaks, pin oaks. Um, so I called a, I, fought, I called a forestry consultant. I had him come in. We walked it. And I was, I was pretty certain from, from other conversations with him and being in the woods with him that we had a timber sale, but I just, I didn't know until I brought him out. So yeah. we have sold. Say again. I said, Oh, I'm just saying, yeah, I, I know how that goes. You don't yeah. know until you, until you get them out yeah, there, you don't, so, know, you don't know. Yeah, so we, so I had him come back out. We walked it. He said, David, I think you've got a sale. He said, now listen, I, it's not, you know, you're selling, I don't want to say junk because I don't, I don't really feel like there's anything that's junk, but um, it wasn't chock full of white oaks and walnut veneer, if you know what I mean. It's, it was, uh, it was a lot of pin oak uh, stuff they're going to make crane mats out of. They're not, they're not making flooring or furniture out of, out of this, out of this timber sale. But, uh, you know, if I can get somebody else to run my saw and pay me money to do it, shoot, you know, I'm, I'm going to be all about that. So, so we've got a, we've got a, 
they're going to come in and cut, I think, 62 logs uh, out of this, which is going to put a lot of sunshine in these wide fence rows that are already natural travel corridors where I've already got some doe bedding. Uh, I don't foresee holding the big buck on there just from the from the timber harvest, but I think with the CRP, that that probably is going to change that 50 quite a bit. Haven't done any habitat work on the 50 because I've been waiting for them to come in and run saws. I see no reason to go in and try to try to pretty up an area hinge cutting or doing any type of saw work when those guys were going to come in there with skitters and, and you know, yep. be hauling out logs. I figured, I figured I'd just go ahead and let them do their thing first and then, uh, and then go, go back in after it. So, but yeah, so that's, that's the farm in a nutshell. Um, you know, last year when to go back to the, the regenerative ag thing, when I was thinking about running pigs in there, I had a guy come in with a forestry mulcher and so I was talking about the Russian olives and <laughs> we mowed this stuff down. Like he come in and mulched. It was, it was unbelievable. It was wide open back here. Well, that was about 2018. So the great thing about, and most pe people are going to scoff at anything great about a Russian olive. The great thing about them is, is he went through and mulched these things down and these dudes have, have blossomed in the last three years and, and it's created a, a great understory. And then, but while they were mowed down, the soft maple jumped up and has made a bunch of hingeable trees. So I'm able to really go in and manipulate oh, small bedding areas on top of, on top of these Russian olives. And it's, it, I think in the next couple of years, it's really going to be something to see on creating really focused and pinpointed bedding areas. And what I've been trying to do is um, probably the closest person that I can think of that I've seen talking about this and probably where I, I listen, I, I have zero original ideas. None. I've stole every idea that I have from someone much <laughs> smarter that's run many more saws or planted many more seeds. But I would say it's probably close to something Jim Ward's doing where trying to create a labyrinth to get that buck on his feet. And as he works through your property, you're just going to create the trap. And that's, that's where we're at now. Um, but then, you know, strategy comes into play, you know, how, how deep do you go? Do you go deep at all? Do you hunt the edges? Do you stay completely out? Do you, do you take the approach of, you know, no entry at all? Um, unlike, unlike a pressure, the pressured area where you have to be mindful of, of, how pressured these bucks are when you're, when you're from these areas where they're not that pressured, any pressure is pressure. So they can, they can leave your property and go somewhere else where there's not going to be, you know, where there's no pressure. So you, you it's almost the same deal, but different, you know, a mature buck doesn't like pressure at all. So if you give him some and he don't have nothing next door, he gone. Yeah. And I think that relates to my question that I wanted to ask you, you mentioned uh, your mentor calling your place kind of the, the wagon wheel, right. Or the, the center of, of the wheel. Um, and, and I also think something that you've realized is that cover is King. And I, I didn't coin that term either. Right. But that's something that I, that I live by. And even though you're in, you know, Illinois, it's, it still matters to a, a big deer. When did you realize that, you know, turning your place into the outlier property that you didn't look like every other 
you know, just up field um, was was a ticket, you know, because it sounds like you're buying so, the timber pieces, which which is what here's which, the uh, here's right anyways. The, but. So a mile, I'm gonna say a mile and a half north of me. Um, there's a I've got a land I've got a land owning neighbor that has been managing strict stuff for probably two decades now. And those guys, those guys had it going on for a long time. Um, they logged, they had, they had to cover and they always killed the big deer. Um, so, so that was, that was a little bit that scratched the, the wonderment of me. Um, and then to the South of me, the family that I bought, um, the, the last 50 off of, um, just South of me, it, it goes from flat farm country to just hills with timber on it, old pastures. Um, and I, there's, there's been books written on this. Those bucks like topography. They right. like side hills. They, 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 they use, they use all that to their advantage. So I've got a great farm to the North of me and I've got topography and, and, and great, great habitat by no no other thing than that's just the way nature made it to the south of me so what i've what i've figured out is is that i've got to do something to make my place a little bit better just just in um just because of the options that these deer have uh and the guys that are hunting this the, the ground here on this topography i mean these guys aren't slouches so those guys are hunting that area properly and right. And, you know, that's just three, they got walls of those things. And, right. and the reason they do is the way that they hunt the area that they have to hunt. So what I need is for their bucks to make them a, to feel comfortable enough to utilize my property. And so I, so it, it was really kind of mimicking and feeling like, I was playing second fiddle in an area, you know, like I said, this is my wall of every five years. Well, I want to do it every year. Now I'm not saying they've got to be this every year, but I want, if nothing else, you know, put me in the, put me in a game coach. I just want a shot, right? I just want that one opportunity. If I take it, I take it. If I don't, I don't. If I let the dude walk, it is what it is. But I just want that one time in the season to look up and go, yep, this is what, all that fuel through that saw was about this is you know this yep. is this is that i just want that one that one opportunity and so to get back to your question at what point i don't know that there was a specific point as much as um kind of a, a progression of seeing how important it was the far deer over here this deer right here um I, I killed at my, my mother and father-in-law's and that deer probably taught me more. And I only seen him three times, but that deer taught me more about mature bucks cover and comfort, uh, than any other deer I've ever hunted. And I killed him in mid October, uh, which should have been the lull. And he was living literally a hundred yards out there back door, but it was thick and it wasn't anywhere you could get to him before he couldn't see or smell or hear you. And then, you know, the way he come out and the way he, he left his bed, and it was just, 
it was just an awesome experience. And uh, after after that, like that deer changed me. That was the first mature buck that I knew was six plus years old. I just, I wanted more of that. You know, watching a deer stand 60 yards in the brush and all he moves is his ears while he watches does walk out ahead of him so he knows what trail to take or what trail not to take. I was like, oh, just sign me up. I want, <laughs> I need, <laughs> I need more of that That's in awesome. my life. That's so, awesome. yeah, so it was, it, you know, um, and then, and then they, and then ended up being able to kill the deer was, you know, uh, you know, but it was, it was, I'm not kidding you. We, we weren't from where that deer died, where he was bedding, where that deer ended up dying. I, I, I bet you was less than a hundred yards out their back door. <clears throat> I mean, it just, it was, and it was just hard to believe that my, a friend of mine told me to hunt there. Um, and I was like, dude, they're on a state highway. 60 mile an hour traffic. And uh, I, I told my buddy, he's a big coon hunter. He's like, baby, I've seen some good deer in there. I'm like, yeah, but that's their backyard, man. Like, there ain't nothing there. He's like, hang a stand hunting. And I'm like, all right. So I do. And the first night that dude slips out, and I'm like, holy cow. You know, I was, I was blown away. And then yeah. luckily, had I, I had great access. I was actually using the, the highway as cover. I would walk down the highway, you know, where she's used to traffic and things moving and, and, and slipped around him. So, boy. but that was, that was, as far as deer, I don't know about a moment, but it, but that was the animal that probably changed the tide of, of how important cover is and, and what, what cover really is. I think that, yeah, that's a, that's a hell of a deer. How wide is that deer? 26-ish, maybe yeah. a little more. I'd have to put a tape back on it. Um, yeah, he's wide, man. It, no, I can see yeah. it from here. It's kind of a – it's not the head-on angle, so I can't see exactly, but – Yeah, wide and, and, and main beams. I mean, I, oh, you know, man. if I was just if I was just building a rack like that, that's, you know, that's the rack I'd build. I mean, I, you know, my dad always says, you know, it's the prettiest deer I've ever seen, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, so – it, and I, the cover thing, um, what I, what I don't have is, is grass and I don't have a lot of cedar or, or, or conifer. And as I do a lot, as I do some more hinge cuts and this, that, and the other, um, I've now moved into, not only do I want cover, but I want diversified cover. Uh, right. I want to offer something throughout the entire year for whether it be for, for fawning or whether it be for security cover for a buck. Um, that's, that's, that's been my focus as far as cover from, or it's going to be my focus for cover from here on out. Okay. So kind of, kind of shifting gears here. Now our, our mutual friend is, is my good buddy, Jordan. We had Jordan on Habitat podcast episode 39 and episode 62 for those who want to hear about him. Um, he was telling me some interesting things which caught my attention a while back. He was saying you're really into the, you know, soil health and, and the farming with your animals and, and raising more of a quality product, whether it's food plot or, or your meat, um, just just maximizing the, the, the nutrition or the nutritious side of things. Um, it's, it's a thing these days. Obviously, we're, we're uh, 
we're all about it with you know vitalized seed and everything. But right, how did, how did you start learning about that being important <laughs> and, not, and not just throwing down the you know two hundred pounds per acre, whatever to so, protein that whole thing. Thank you so much, listeners, for coming and listening once again to the Habitat Podcast. We really appreciate it. If you could, please do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. If you type out something nice, I will send you a free Habitat Podcast decal. If you haven't been to our website, habitatpodcast.com, we have our Habitat property consultation services on there under the land plan tab check out our hp land plans there we also have hats t-shirts and decals up at habitatpodcast.com of course all of our podcast episodes and then we have a new habitat podcast journal where you can learn about deer anatomy and some cool thoughts um you know more of a blog post from us every now and then we'd really love it if you went over to our instagram facebook and youtube found the habitat podcast and please subscribe that really helps us and thank you very much to our sponsors. I'd like to thank Exodus Trail Cameras. The Habitat Hook from Nation's Creations. Packer Max Cultipackers. Afflictor Broadheads. Michigan Whitetail Pursuit. The Squirrel at NutPlanter.com. And Morse Nursery. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in once again. Get back with us soon. We're going to have another great episode for you as we become better habitat managers. Mm -hmm.